Hello and welcome. It's the grand opening, guys. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Introducing myself. My name is Adama. I want to introduce the guys that are here with me today. Hi, everyone. My name is Lord. What's up, guys? My name is Amiri. Hi, I'm Tamba. Welcome, you all. This is Africa. We want to welcome you guys to something that the four of us came together and said we felt like the world needed. Um, our goal with this podcast is to kind of help connect people to the continent of Africa and all of its African connections as best as possible. We want to help provide access to information in a way that allows for people to kind of absorb the knowledge on a day-to-day basis and easy for people to consume. That's not a lot of big words and excessive extra stuff. Um, we kind of want to discuss everything from social to political issues. And by having this discussion, we hope to show people the major importance of African community to the world and hopefully seek to open more avenues for the future, you know? And that's kind of our goal a little bit. But I guess to start us off a little bit here, how how we doing, guys? Everybody good? Doing good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm doing I'm doing horrible. Horrible. You're doing horrible. Yeah. Oh man, I hope that isn't really um connected to the the the, the state of Africa, but that's kind of where we're gonna start anyway. It is, it is. We, <laughs> we need to get better. We need to get better. I yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, guys. So posing the first question, um, how do we view the state of Africa and the Caribbean today? Um I guess if you guys could, let's start off with like a rating, maybe about one to ten, and then you know, go from there. I personally feel that, um, well, my rating for Africa would be a five, um, because I feel like Africa hasn't yet tapped into its full potential, and that we are robbing ourselves of what we can be in the future and how great we can be in the future, and that in order for us to really exploit our uniqueness to our own advantage, we really have to, A, learn to know ourselves and love ourselves. And also on top of that, to hold ourselves to a higher level and a higher standard um, in everything that we do. So that at the end of the day, once we show ourselves to the world, we show ourselves to the world that we are competitive and we can be like the other developed countries or the developed countries, um, developed continents in the world. So my state of Africa, I'll just give it a five. You know, there's room for improvement, but we have a long way to go. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I agree too, you know, so I represent for the Caribbean, you know, but I feel like to say the Caribbean is like, I would rate it as like, in terms of all aspects of development, um, economics, politics, I'll give it like a 7.5 probably, or maybe a, maybe a 6.5, oh, 7, I'll give it a 7, 7, really loud, but um, the reason why I give it like a 7 is because, um, I feel like the Caribbean, um, they're not really independent based on being small islands, but they maintain their status in the world, you know? Um, I feel like the Caribbean represent for as small islands being part of the diaspora, the African diaspora, but still show a different side of the African diaspora, you know? Our own cult, their own cultural way, you know? So... I feel like they hold their ground in, in terms of, like, the world stage that, like, they represent for, like, who they are, you know? And 
how they connect to the African diaspora, you know, and what they give towards to give to to the world, you know. Mm-hmm. So I gotta give them like a seven, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I guess you know, coming back to me a little bit. Honestly, hearing you guys like speak about, like I guess like where you guys feel everybody's at right now, um, I kind of like look at it a little bit more differently, and I feel like, which is why I'm gonna rate it like a six point five or seven. Um, I guess for me, like the indicating like key that tells me that we're on the right track, and I know six or seven is fairly high for the for the state of the world at the moment entirely, <laughs> not even just Africa. But I feel like for me, the the like I said, like the most important indicator is how much people are like aware, and how much people are trying to be involved in their governmental systems, in politics, in the social realms, and trying to fix the social dilemmas that are going on, not just in their state but in their communities all around. So for me, I give it a six or seven because I feel like when I look around the world, although I see chaos and mayhem, I see people standing up everywhere. Like, I don't think there's a country that I don't see that that are not fighting something um, in whatever way fighting is, whether it's verbal, whether it's protesting, whether it's actual physical fighting. And and it's definitely sad to see people die a lot, which is why, like, you know, I can't go higher than a six. But because I feel as though people are trying and fighting for what matters now and for the future and for their kids and the next generation, I think I can't do anything but give them a high grade and like give them credit for trying because people are going to be corrupt but it's a matter of how much we're aware of that and how much we try to fix that for the future yeah. and that's kind of so you see like people that are waking up nowadays yeah i think people are just totally waking up and i think that's the key yeah. well i hate to be the pessimistic one here but <laughs> as you do i'm going to rate africa right now out of four but it can improve, and That's one lesson, we are we are in <laughs> in dire need of it to improve. I mean, how, I'm I'm actually surprised you guys rated it six point five. I, I give it a five. A, fi- a, fi- a five is you know respect. I'm I can lean towards a five even more because what what is good that's going on in our continent right now? A lot. Credit to the people. I I, I like other than music which is doing stellar right now i do not see anything that's going our politicians keep failing us time and time not all of them they're almost all of them almost all of them you could go across we could start naming country by country politicians are failing us or some of our athletes our national teams you guys know we're not doing well there neither so i don't know where africa is doing well war you know, we 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 haven't progressed enough for me to give us anything more. From the Independence Day today, if you look at Africa as a continent in general, there's there hasn't been a great change in the way people are living, and that's where it's at. So that's why I give it a four as of t- right now. But we could improve. That's actually honestly um perfect way to look at it a little bit. Well, tying into the next question that I guess we can kind of dive into, because we kind of touched on where where we feel that we are now, but I guess, like, how do you kind of feel, like, where are we now in general? I guess, TK, you kind of touch on, um, you know, governmental effects and, like, there not being that much, like, you know, good being seen. Um, so then, like, from your point of view, TK, if you want to start us off, what do you think people think about Africa when you think about Africa when you think about African politics what is the usual thing that you think goes through people's mind right now when they're looking at the state of affairs I mean 
So the, your question is, what do people think about Africa? What, yeah, kind of like, what do people think about Africa? Because oh, we kind of know there's also like an inability of access to information. Not everybody around the world is aware of day-to-day information or things that are going on around Africa or in Africa. So we're getting like little snippets of stuff. So what do you think are people so you, saying? Right so now? you want me to start from a political standpoint? Yeah. Okay. So from a political standpoint, how people view Africa, I mean, you guys could... Tell me if I'm wrong, but all we hear is corruption, corruption, and dictators. No, not really. Uh, no, famine, poverty. No, yeah, but from a, I'm saying from a political standpoint. A political standpoint, okay. Mm. Uh, not to an really, extent, because yeah, because I would say from what I view from the outside, mm-hmm. I'm not African, you know, but from what I view on the outside, certainly it's all trying to make certain steps to make progress within countries. Yeah, you know, certain countries. For example, you could ask, see a country like Rwanda, see another country like Ghana. And etc. You know, however, of course, there's a lot of work to be done. But certain countries are making certain steps in 2020 to progress the African unity and progression of the African diaspora. Oh, that's in my opinion. Yeah, I mean that's that's beautiful to say. But if if you're on the ground, you can look at how the the countries individually have evolved, and you can see that what sublime infrastructure projects that we have there as we're speaking you could look at one country and be like oh that's good there but does that speak for the rest of the continent because why are we still living below poverty lines why are they still having political coups you know military coups on the continent so i i i don't when people look at africa when you look at the media today cnn um nbc al jazeera things of that nature all you hear about is how africa is how much corruption there is and that's all people want to hear about so i'm what I was saying is that how do people view it and what would pe- people think about African politics is the corruption and the dictatorship that we're seeing across the continent. So are you looking at it from how Africans view each other, view themselves or how the outside world looks at Africa? Or are you looking at it from both perspectives? Well, I believe the question was when people think about African politics, yeah. what do they usually think but about? But I think that yeah, kind of ties into people, both. But, but what people, though? Are we talking about African people looking at themselves or the outside people looking at Africa? Um, I'm African, and me looking. I at think it. the same way. <laughs> me looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's why I felt like when you split it up into like. No, no, but that's from your vantage point because you're African. But I'm talking about how, let's say, if you're looking at it from. Again, when you when you talked about um, Western media such as CNN and stuff, looking at, um, Africa and how they look at corruption, 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 corruption. My question is: Do Africans also see that about themselves? Seeing corruption, corruption, corruption. I, mean, I know seeing corruption, it's a good example in terms of like Africans do also look at their own government as the same way. But who's controlling the narrative? That's what I'm trying to say. Um. Okay. So just to clarify a little bit, um, the people in Africa mm-hmm. are do also think of their governments as such. There's there's the there's this fundamental disconnect between the people and the political elites where they don't have trust mm-hmm. in their people. And for that reason, I think that's the corruption and the mismanagement of their, you know, their funds and such things. That's why they look at it that way. And from the outside perspective, that's what's the most echoed. I'm not saying there aren't good things politicians are doing because there are good politicians, but the bad politicians are just overwhelmingly, you know, Casting a shadow over them. So why aren't the people making the, holding the co- politicians accountable for their actions? Well, 
I mean, I guess, all right. So I see, like, you kind of guys, like, kind of, like, I guess you guys kind of feel as though, like, kind of the way that TK believes that um, people are viewing the state of Africa, you feel as though, like, they shouldn't kind of be viewing it in that way. So I guess, like, how do, you, how do like, you guys, I mean, I guess in TK, since you guys seem to kind of think slightly more different than TK is thinking about it, how do you think the uh, state of Africa is viewed? No, like, I agree with what TK is saying in terms of um, the corruption in terms of there is a disconnect. However, that's not the case. If you look at it on a case-by-case basis or country-by-country cases, then that's where it differs a little bit. Um, because definitely, if you compare um, Congo to Algeria, it's two different two different things. If you compare um, South Africa to Namibia, it's two different things. You know, I, I, see, I see where Tamba is coming from as an aggregate. Yeah, there is a lot of corruption that is rampant in the African continent. If you look at it on a case-by-case basis, might not be the case. Might, might not be so. Yes, the presence of corruption do exist, but in terms of the extent of how it takes control over a certain country compared to another country, Difference. Yeah, and I was never arguing. I'm just saying yeah. in general. I, I think I kind of just realized your question earlier. You were kind of like when you were saying like who's viewing it like from yeah. outside because I definitely now that you explained that last part, I think now I kind of even have like a different answer to the question because like when I see like people on from international standpoint how you're looking at Africa, you're definitely just seeing that that vague corruption line, and it's simply just it's it's a lot of it's it's chaos. There's you know. Financially, there's a lot of work to be done economically in that area, and there's just a lot of corruption, plain and simple. But when you do get into like the gritty nits of like state by state situations, and you look at certain places, like you won't have the same issues. Like places in Senegal, they may not like. Of course, every place is going to be complaining about their government, going to be complaining about some form of corruption. There's always something to make up, but the problems aren't that focused anymore. You know what I mean? Like, you can travel right next to us and go to Guinea, and they'll be dealing with a whole lot more social issues that will be happening in Senegal. So when you ask them kind of, like, how the people are viewing it, it definitely is different on a state-by-state basis. But internationally, I think the headlines are very clear, and they're very just there, generalized corruption yeah, but, and money. <laughs> but also, even 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 if we are – obviously, you guys are right in the sense that, oh, if you go sta- in different um, nation states, um, corruption hits differently. But if you look at the aggregate, if you look at the data, like the most corrupt countries, I mean, countries in the world are on the African continent. The most they have. I mean, if you look at the positive before data, it's almost red. It's almost all red. So generally, from a general standpoint, the way people look at it and the way I view it mm-hmm. is such that we have not only we have to, a lot to work on, but corruption is the number one. I mean. I believe corruption is part of it, but dictate like our dictators and our leadership is really the main issue in my politically in my in my opinion. Yeah. You know? So that's how I believe. Explain further about what do you mean by dictatorship and leadership? Well let me paint a picture for you then. So since what nineteen sixty since we they got the continent got its late 50s early 60s and stuff yeah yeah since they got their you know independence we got our independence you know we're proud people this was our time to change the system this was our time you know to develop ourselves this was our time to get rid of the oppressor and go to a different level we have our revolutionary leaders such as Nkrumah, Modibo Keita, Sekou Toure all those great guys for some reason they all get 
either ousted or assassinated, right? Mm-hmm. So they got ousted, right? Right there, the next leaders that that followed after them, what did they do? They they got our revolutionary leaders out, and now there's a political there's a coup. They take over the country with the hopes of, oh, we're gonna make it better. We're gonna have radical change. The leader that was here before was doing horrible, and this is this was in the 70s, right? Boom, they come in, they become power hungry. They don't want to leave. They want to stay there. They want to take but, a but sort of. But why do you think they become power hungry though? I'm I'm getting to it. Okay. I'm getting to it because obviously they're they're in my opinion, right? Their movement that you know they were portraying, right? Because a military like they didn't ask the people if the people wanted a coup. You know, it's the elites doing a coup. The people are never doing a coup. Elites always doing the coup? Yeah, it's the military elites. That's why they're called military coups. The people may protest, and they may use that, you know, to weaponize as as a reason why they took over, took down the government. But that's not that's not necessarily true. Is that true? And are they coming in the best interest of the people? We don't know that. So that's what I meant by dictators. They come in and leadership. Because throughout the continent, we've been, what, infested with bad leaders, we would say. But it's not only due to the leaders, we cannot just blame the... I, I wouldn't say inf- infested with bad leaders because also, I think, well, well, in my opinion, I think that's also like just people just not knowing. So, for example, uh, when Kwame Nkrumah wanted to build a highway in Ghana, there were a lot of people that were against him for saying that. For doing bad that. Bad example. Kwame Nkrumah is a great leader. I, I know, I but they looked at him as a bad leader for doing that because they say that how dare you use government funds or public funds to build a, a highway while there are people starving, while there are people um, going through X, Y, and Z, and you, how, and you use public funds to build a highway. Fast forward 10 years later, a big flood happened in Ghana, and most of the roadways that was in Ghana was flooded except for the highway, and a lot of people used that highway. Now, in hindsight, that was a good thing. But right then and there, they were looking at him as a bad and corrupt leader for using public funds for something that they did not see as a public good. I mean, I think there's a fine line in Kwame Nkrumah's case because it's the military, in my opinion, that took him out. And they just didn't agree with him because of the radical change he was trying to make. That's it. They just didn't agree with his movement. They didn't see his vision. And the military took him out. The people were not necessarily against him. Just saying. Not only that, too. Um, you are- Y'all also got to look at how outside influences plays a factor in leadership within African countries, too. You're right. Like, if a, if a world power have interest in an African nation, then most likely that African leader would be in favor of that world power interest instead of his people. Not saying he's a sellout. I'm just saying that he have to play the game, you know? So you also got to look at that type of perspective too you know just african leadership no you're 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 definitely absolutely right in terms of what you talk about world power because during the late 50s early 60s when um pan-africanism was at its peak there was a cold war going on between the united states and russia so most of the pan-african leaders were mostly leaning to russian um russian way of doing things or russian power that did not sit very well with the united states so as you can see with some leaders like Patrick Lumumba who sided with the Russians, the CIA had to come in and unfortunately assassinate him. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, well, 
just because we're literally knocking on the door, hopping into it, like, so then what do we, like, personally, I guess, like, I mean, we do have a lot of negatives, all right? <laughs> Let's just, just be very flank and frank and very clear about it. There are a lot of things that we definitely dislike, but that that's part of change. You know, we definitely we have to look at what's bad and kind of see if we can help in different ways. So I guess personally, from where we stand right now, what do we like and hate about African politics, Caribbean politics specifically? Um, and if we could change one thing right now, what would it be? I could start first. <laughs> Honestly, off the top of my head, changing things like over the past couple of months, I've kind of been like, even myself, been more woke to like the advantages of like everybody else has that Africans do not have. Even simple things like the ability to travel. You know, I, I think that was something that you kind of made clear to me recently. Like, I don't even remember how long ago it was, but it was something about just like passports and being able to travel and how like with an American passport, you can almost go all around the world and with just getting from Africa is a struggle. Whether it's visas, having to go through months through lines and processes, filling out documents and going through medical things and blah, blah, blah. And I think what if I could change one thing, I guess it's kind of a big thing, but it would just be like things like the Bill of Rights, like a Bill of Rights type of system that we have here. Like just basic tenants that people have the privilege to do. Like, the concept of, of going out on the streets and protesting against your government and making it home alive is is definitely it's something that's looked at as insane. Like, and there's a major risk in in Africa and Caribbean and almost every other part of the world. So I guess that would be one thing I could change if, if I really could change something. Uh, but what I do like, though, like I said when I started, when I gave African a rating overall, is literally just the people's willingness to make that sacrifice. To know that you could not make it home and to still go outside, insane to me. Um, so I, that's one thing I definitely like about it. And my change is my hate. So you feel me? that's kind of how I'm standing. Um, so I would dive right in. Um, one thing I, I would change um, pertaining to the Caribbean and African nations, uh, the, uh, the political climate of African nations and the Caribbean is the um, mismanagement of money. I feel like that's a huge problem, not only in Caribbean or African nations, but worldwide. Because if you have agencies like the World Bank giving a country money, and then the money's not relocated to like the lower class levels of society, then that's a huge problem because all the resources is not being used wisely. Um, I feel like sometimes <laughs> I ain't trying to blame nobody, but some politicians do keep money for themselves. And, like, you guys can see, like, that's that's a huge problem for, like, lower-class people. People end up starving. People end up not having jobs. People end up not having um, the necessities to maintain a, a, a good lifestyle. So I feel like that's a huge problem. However, one thing I feel like that's good, though, is uh, I feel like a lot of Caribbean nations and African nations, too, are very, like, nationalistic you know like i like how they represent where you come from and represent the struggles and also voice opinions of the struggles that um these nations face you know because it's not all our it's not all the nations faults, caribbeans or african nations sometimes a lot of world powers do play a factor in in hindering the progress pro progression of certain countries so i feel like that's one thing that that's good about these countries you know i like how you cheated and gave two likes 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what you think, TK? Um. Man, oh man. <laughs> okay. Give us uh, something uh, good, my boy. Uh, Positivity. Uh, uh, so something that I believe is you know crucial and that needs to change quick is the way um politicians maneuver in Africa. Meaning that, you know, we need we need to get into the habit of start listening to our people again. You know? We some of these politicians have been to the best schools in America, everywhere, and go back to the continent and just act like they, they never went to school. This Things that seem so simple to us, they cannot do. So I think listening to the people, getting back connected with the people. Don't just stay in this realm where you just, you know, ad- adhering to the, I guess, the elites. You, yeah, the upper class. You got to go back to the people. The farmer needs to feel themselves within the politician. They need to feel like a politician is really going to help them. You know, we need to fall back in love with Africa as a whole and with each individual country. I think, for me, change needs to start there. Amongst a lot of other things, but something that is crucial is for politicians and leaders in Africa to, you know, get back in touch with their people. You know, because I feel like there's this disconnect. Once you gain a certain level of power, you don't even care about what the people think anymore. You think you know what's right for the people. But, you know, this is why a democracy is a thing. You need to listen to your people and, you know, come to their needs. True, what true. do you like? <laughs> what, what do I like? So um, I try to get away from it. Um, what I like. Yeah, I can say, you know, I love the culture. I love the people. You know, I love Mali. That's my country. So shout out Mali. And I love every other African country. So one th- one one thing I'll say I like is just our culture. Um, it's, it's hard so, for TK, so, social culture. <laughs> Come on, Lord, wrap us up with Um, so what I personally like about um what just Africa or African politics? Politics first. African politics. Um hmm. all right, so what I like about African politics, well, in terms of the countries that's actually doing it the right way is the will and desire to invest in the young people. That is one thing that I really like about African politics. I like that too. I like that too. (laughs) Or in terms of the African countries that recognize that and decide to actually um, invest in the young people to know that the well-being of the country and the well-being of the state definitely depends on the people who coming and take over for tomorrow and the future. That's one thing I like. The one thing I dislike about African politics. It's or, one thing you can change. Or oh yeah, dislike is something I wanted I wanted to change or something like that. But one thing that I want I want um African politics to change is it's it's just basically recognizing or 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 just selling yourself short. Because I feel like a lot of African politics or a lot of African politicians sell themselves short or sell their country short of the resources or the untapped potential that outside countries and outside powers recognize, but they just don't, which kills me. Because, for example, in the next 10 to, to let's say, 30 years, Africa will have one of the, no, the youngest labor force population in the entire world. That is so much untapped potential to, to, de- to dive into that other countries, other global firms 
other continents are recognizing that and are capitalizing on it right now to, to, to have the dividends or the payout that is going to come in the future. And our own politicians don't recognize that. Which mind boggles me. I think they recognize it. They just don't care. So that is something that I want. I I I want. I want changing in terms of recognizing the untapped potential that you have. Tap into it. Yeah, I agree with that. And take advantage and use it for your own advantage. And and the well being of the state. Yeah, and I just want to say for our audience, um, we are aware that there are other factors that play into the political realm in Africa. But today we're just focusing on culture, so that's why we're very. You know, we're being very pessimistic, but there are other factors that will come in, you know, and definitely stay tuned because we will have episodes on those as well. Um, <clears throat> great point. <laughs> uh, I guess like just, all right, we can obviously like just giving them a little more transition. We're going to transition now to political culture a little bit. We're going to hop into social culture. Um, and I guess with, with social culture, I guess that's more so um, it's a lot of subjective perspective um so i guess like we were all from different places I, i'll start first you know i'm i was born in america um uh, my parents you know definitely sent me to senegal at a young age but i was between the ages of like one and five like they immersed me in my culture as much as possible um learned my language like just as fluently as i learned english at a young age so all i really knew was like i, I was african you know what i mean like you know so I guess you guys can go around and like kind of say like kind of how, where you were raised and how you got to the situation and why you so nationalistically um, inclined to the continent of Africa in a way. But yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So um, once again, my name's Amiri. You know, but um, I was born I was born here. My parents and my whole family's from Trinidad. So um, like every summer since I was like a baby, they used to send me to Trinidad like every summer. So. And my household too, like I don't really talk with an American accent. I just talk with a Trinidadian accent, you know. So like, people have a connotation that I'm actually Trinidadian, you know. So like, yeah. from like, so like, my parents also taught me everything about the culture, the history, um, foods, everything about it, you know. So like, that's why I feel so connected to being calling myself Trinidadian, you know. But um, yeah, I feel like, yeah, it's it's a it's a good thing to have something to represent for, you know. It's a good feeling, you know, like, I feel like it gives you a certain sense of pride, a sense of principle, security, a certain sense of um, belonging in, like, you belong to something, and um, it gives an opportunity to educate someone else that's not from that side of the world about where you come from, you know, so I'm, I'm proud to represent for Trinidad, you know, yeah. And then our, our, our two... Two, let's save the best two for last. Uh, yeah, um, born and raised. <laughs> yeah, I was. I'm, I'm from. I'm from Mali. You know, um, fortunately, I got to um, due to my, you know, my family's employment, I got to, you know, live in different parts of the world, France, the United States, obviously, and I came to the United States, you know, to pursue a higher education, and that's why I'm here. And yeah, the reason I feel connected to. You know, Mali or Africa in general is just because I want to go. I, I, I hate the situation we are in. You know, I hate that, you know, just because I was born into, you know, a well-off family that I have the opportunity to come here today and, you know, have ideas like create 
a podcast or, you know, have access to higher education while there's, you know, a lot of my brothers and sisters, maybe even uncle and aunts that, you know, don't have the opportunity to come here. And the only difference between me and them is I was born into a good family, which I'm grateful for, but that's why I feel so connected. And that's, I, I, when it's all said and done, I want to be known as somebody that went back there and helped the continent grow and give this opportunity that I had to other people. Also, too, to um, not to add into it's also good to know where you come from too. You know, it gives you a sense of belonging and a sense of identity too. You know, so um, yeah, just us sharing like where we come from and stuff is like kind of give y'all a representation of like who we are, you know, and where we came from and how we end up here, you know. So I'm so I'm sure everybody else, uh, everybody else have a similar story too, you know. So you know, so we came from Lord. <laughs> well, I'm from Ghana. Uh, I was born and raised there, spent my whole childhood. I came here when I was in middle school. Um, and the reason why I have a uh, strong connection to Ghana is just, and I said it before and I'll say it again, it's just the untapped potential, honestly. Because when I, when I came out here first in America, I was literally one of the top students in my class. Um, in Ghana, not so much the case because there were people who were 10 times better than I was. But just seeing that my mediocrity was so great over here and that just because of opportunity, people's greatness and back at home was not realized as much as it would be when they come to a developed country. Not true. It just killed me. Where honestly, the difference between a, a, a student having access to higher education or a student having access to just things that would just level the playing field for somebody who is in a developed country um, elsewhere, it's just access to resources, especially in terms of like one one specific aspect is just in terms of school, where the social culture of Ghana, where where I'm from, is that if you didn't have your pen and pencil when you're taking the test, God bless you, you're not taking that test. Where the big culture shock when I came over here was, if you don't have a pen and pencil, take a test, we'll provide it to you. True. You know, so that is something that I'm just like, imagine, and again, back back in Ghana, that teach you responsibility in terms of if you come to take a test, like bring what you need to bring to take a test. Like, don't just come over and just not be prepared. Come on now. But just uh, the luxury of having these type of things provided to you if you just don't have it compared to when when I'm back at home in Ghana where if you don't have it, you don't have it and that's the case. It's just it's just an uneven playing field. So that is something where mm-hmm. in terms of like the social culture of things, and I know I just talk more so about education, but it's just how it is. It's just the untapped potential and just giving people the resources to really fully tap into it. And exploit it to their own advantage, and you know, so basically like, level up from there. Basically, like access to opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I guess, Lord, just because like you're kind of touching in on it, you, you think that like that's kind of the biggest culture shock. And I guess, like, what do you think is the biggest culture shock if not that? Like, I guess, like that you've experienced that you think is that thing. When I came to America, when you came to America, when like, my my, big, seen, my like, biggest culture shock when a kid was a kid cursing out a, a teacher. <laughs> uh, I no, I'm so serious. That was my biggest culture shock because it's a level of 
respect that this wasn't. Yeah, like how strict school was, and the level of respect that you give to your teacher in Ghana. In Ghana, and over here, I could cuss out my teacher, and all they're gonna do is just call my parents and call it a day. <laughs> and depending on what type of parents you are, they'll take action and will not take action. What? <laughs> That was the biggest culture shock to be. So that I don't know. Um, I feel like the biggest culture shock to me was so like I said, like my household was like very Trinidadian. My elementary and private school that I went to was Trinidadian, you know. So like when I went to public school, I feel like a huge cultural shock to me was um I feel like support, you know, like Compared to my private school and like my household, like support from the public school um system is like it's not really I won't say it's they don't they don't love their students, but the love is not there, you know, like from like I could say from like when I went to like private school and like my household being educated on like certain things that like I could say like they really teaching me things about from a love standpoint rather than just educating a student standpoint, you know, so I know, even though I know, like, my my parents would tell me stories about with, with them being in Trinidad that, like, you know, like, teachers would, like, educate the students from, like, a love standpoint. Like, they really want to see the students do better, you know, so I feel like that's something that's kind of being lack here a little bit, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, the biggest culture shock when I first got here was, um, <laughs> I guess, not to say that Americans or people the rest of the world doesn't respect their elders. You and Lord but, are on the same but, time. But, yeah, to piggyback what Lord said, yo, the respect actually really hit me. Like, <laughs> like never in my life before did I, like, no matter who you are, did I ever, like, even think about talking back to somebody that's an elder to me. Like, that was not even, like, ever in my head. But, like, I'm not saying now. I, I mean, now I'm a little older, obviously. But, like, when I was like, when I was younger, I never even thought about that. When I came here, like, kids were doing that. So yeah. I was like, Wow. That, that was a culture shock. <laughs> I, was, I was roasting some of my teachers. <laughs> <laughs> to be frank, uh, like, obviously we know that there are a plethora of, of cultures, and not all of them are obviously as strict as we put out, but this is how we were raised, guys. <laughs> like, all four of us were raised in that same type of bubble, and I'm sure there are tons of other African and Caribbean kids that can relate to that same exact thing. The stories are endless. Or, or disagree. <laughs> <laughs> or we can disagree, which is always fun. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I was trying so hard to think of a culture shock that was different. <laughs> like, that's something that I experienced. I can go through food. I can go through, uh, like, you know, the way that people practice their respective religions. But, I, I, like, I guess because I was young and I dealt with kids almost immediately. Like, it wasn't the same as my parents coming here at 23 and dealing with adults. Respect is probably the biggest thing. Like, like I had to learn how to code switch. Like, going home and leaving my house, I had to be two different people because the outside world was just totally different. Whereas back home, my uncle and my aunt and my moms and the teachers, they were all one and the same. Like, they, <laughs> there was no room to code switch because everybody knew who that was. Yeah. So, it was like, so I guess ultimately, yeah, you know, our culture shocks align. Um, but, you know, speaking about culture and stuff like that, um, I know we all want to do a, a game, a quiz, a question thing, a questionnaire looking thing. I got something for us, guys. And, you know, we're speaking about culture and stuff like that. And we want to speak about differences in, like, Africa to the rest of the world and stuff like that. So we're going to go through exploring Africa. All right? This is a question. Um, not a sponsor. Britannica.com. They have a, a, um, a quizzing thing that's exploring Africa. Fact or fiction, fiction questions only. 
right. I'm gonna host this, and the three of you will answer. So hopefully, I get it right because I, I wasn't born on the African continent. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the three of you will be working as a team. All right, you don't have long to answer these questions though, so answer fast, answer strong. Yeah, it's like rapid fire, fun. It's ra- rapid fire. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Niger is a very wet tropical country. Cap fiction. Cap fiction. <laughs> that is correct. Niger is a country in West Africa. Yep. Fiction. Yep, that's true. That's the facts. That's true. That's facts. Niger, Niger. Is it north it's side? a fact. It's a fact. <laughs> is it the north side? Nah. It is in West it's Africa, like my central, boy. But it's, but is it more north? Though? I mean, it's on. Pyramids it's north, are right. found only in Egypt. You have three seconds. No, no. False, false, false. Correct. The largest country in Africa is Sudan. Cap. 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 That's Cap. fiction. Cap. Wow, you guys are on a roll, man. Africa contains the largest number of freshwater fish species in a single body of water. You said fish species? Fish species. Oh, Sharks. About fishes. Tilapia. Red snapper. I, 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 I had to say cap. I had to say cap. That's cap. Fishes? It's a fact. What? Wait, what? I didn't know that. Whoa. Cairo is Africa's largest city. That's cap. That's cap. That's cap. Woo! It's a fact. <laughs> Angola is the southernmost country in Africa. Southernmost. Yeah, that's 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 false. That's yeah, false. that's fiction. All right, guys, you got too wrong, but we're still good. We're still good. Chad borders the Indian Ocean. That's fiction. That's so fiction. Correct. It never snows in Kenya. Fiction. It never snows. It never snows in Kenya. Three, <laughs> never two. Yeah, I've never seen snow in Kenya. Well, it, was it was wrong. It was a fact. Sorry, guys. It, Sierra Leone means lion mountains. Wait, wait no, no. It Sierra doesn't. Leone means lion mountains. Oh yeah, yes, yes. It does mean yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, does, it does. It does mean it does, lion does. mountains. Yeah, that's because CK is French. Mountains. That's why. All right, guys. <laughs> on this episode of of the game is game six of ten. We can do better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Six Next time we'll get ten out of ten. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can improve. <laughs> Obviously, we need to learn more. Don't be promising. Put some people. questions there about the Caribbean. I want to see how, how much I know about the Caribbean. All right, just like all other game shows, obviously game shows are a form of entertainment. Um, and I think like something TK touched on when we first started the podcast, speaking about music and that being probably one of the only good things he's seen. Um, how is entertainment culture, people? Entertainment culture and its influence on the rest of Africa. Yeah, we're going crazy. We're going entertainment in Africa. You know, it's in my opinion, it's at its all time high right now. Oh, hold on, hold on. Beyonce literally made a whole Blackest King and was all about Africa. If Beyonce is doing something about about Africa, like We've made music, we made it. Burn up, boy, <laughs> Devito. Like, come on, man. Uh, African music's hold everywhere on, hold now. On, hold on, hold on, everywhere. Hold on. All right. Before we dispute, just just tell me how you feel about it. How I feel. No, about how you feel about the influence of African entertainment on the world? How how you feel? Which the thing though, like what? All right, here's the thing. Because I feel like Afrobeats is not like a complete representation of all African countries. Because there's only two countries that really dominate Afrobeats. Yes, my mom would say that 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 like the world is exposed to, in my opinion, where one country dominates it the most, which is Nigeria. So I don't know whether I would say like yeah it is Afrobeats but it's just only showing just one aspect of 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 of, of Africa it's just one country or like two countries at most which if you want to include Ghana into the conversation so do you feel like however, Africa is not being however in terms of Afrobeats as a whole as a genre exposed to the world we're doing phenomenal 
that I'll give it that in terms of how we're getting outside recognition for um, Afrobeats in terms of how um, uh, outside uh, artists want to give recognition to that. Going to your point with what Beyonce did with Black is King. So definitely I agree with that. Yeah, so um, I agree too. I feel like Afrobeats is running the world right now alongside dancehall. Wow. And you could running see, the world. Not, <laughs> wow. I, not running the world, but they are like, Afrobeats and dancehall is like the top genres. Everybody must have an Afrobeats or dancehall song in their phone. <clears throat> you I feel me? That. Like, besides rap and all the other genres, you feel me? Yeah. Or wow. if not, the Afrobeats rhythm and the dancehall rhythm or the production influences a lot of different genres of music. You know, a lot of the other uh, genres of music is using dancehall and Afrobeats rhythms and production. And that's why I feel like they're progressing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I guess it's been the last two minutes. I won't even give how I feel on it because it literally mirrors the same thing. However, just to give us like a minute of just a little entertaining dispution, Lord, I totally disagree. As far as like two genres, like leading the pack, I think that's a better way to say it. There are two like Afrobeat genres that are leading the pack. However, all we can ask for is the door to be open so people can take a look into the culture. I'm sure when people think of America, they see Drake. You feel me? And they think he's all of America. But no. By listening to Drake, they'll be able to hear He's not even American. Lil Pimp he's, and, and, he's, and his friends. He's Canadian. Drake Drake is Canadian. Uh, reference I, to Trump, bro. I, I, get, I get the Trump Lil reference. Pimp. I get the Trump Pimp. reference. Lil Pump. Trump had Lil Pump. Ooh. Come on. Trump, oh. Lil Pump, the rapper. Gucci gang, Gucci gang, Gucci gang, Gucci gang. Yeah. <laughs> no, he introduced him as Lil Pimp at the, at the thing. At the oh, rally. Lil Pimp. No, the, the, the Drake is Canadian. No, but the reason... I'm weak! <laughs> no, the reason why I said that because honestly, like, when people talk about mm. Afrobeats, Afrobeats, I don't think they, they go and be like, oh, I love Moochild, Sinelli. No. You but, don't hear them saying that. But They're not like, everybody that listens to Jay-Z knows, like, you know, ASAP Rocky also comes from New York. Wait, wait, you know wait, what wait, I mean? No, like, not Jay-Z hip-hop. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm saying not everybody who listens to the leaders of the group. Like the leaders of the of the world know all the little people. All we know is yeah. that, but they still have fan bases. But ASAP they grow. Is not, ASAP is not little. No, but he's not. He's not compared to Jay Z. Not compared to Jay Z. Uh, I know. But that thing, you feel me? That's a topic for a different time. Yeah, but this yeah. topic we're going for the um, time. But yeah, guys, sorry, we we're running out of time here. Um, but we want to thank you guys for for tuning in, listening, sharing, loving. And enjoying, and also debating. You know, if you guys disagree, please let us know. Let us know how you feel about stuff. We want to be interactive with the listener. That is our goal. Um, yeah, we. I, I personally hope you guys enjoyed the first episode of This Is Africa. Africa. <laughs> yeah, and if and then if you have any suggestions on topics, things we need to, you know, look out for, things you want us to speak about, you know, please let us know. Catch you next week, my people. Peace. <laughs> Pick them one by one. Make me bust my gun. Poison us like a long time.